Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Fathers, we open your word, and we continue this part of our service as a time of worship. We bring to you our sacrifice, our hearts to you, Father, at this time. We give these few moments to you and ask that your word would speak to us and that we would uh, grow from your word and walk with you this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This uh, past few weeks, I've received something that I'll bet a lot of you don't get anymore. Um, You know what this is? It's a letter. Yeah, I mean, it's a real letter. It's actually a letter. And uh, this letter, I get a couple letters. And uh, these letters have, you know, words on them, handwritten words. Somebody wrote and uh, sent me a letter. You ever get one of these, Michael? You ever gotten a letter? You ever gotten a real letter? Someone actually, you have. Okay, all right, all right. (laughs) You know, um, we don't write letters much today, of course. We do our correspondence through uh, email, through chat, through Facebook, through all sorts of things. Uh, We don't write letters much anymore. I don't know how many of you ever remember... Have you ever had the experience, I know like I did, of going down into the basement, um, archives of our house and rummaging through things and finding love letters that your parents wrote? You know, you know when you're a kid, you know, like, you know, eight or ten years old and you find these love letters your parents wrote to each other, it's like, ooh, you know, <laughs> what? You know, my mom, you know, there's no way, you know. And uh, it was during a war, my dad was in the army and uh, he was in, stationed down in Oregon. He never had to go overseas because it was getting toward the end of the war, but they wrote letters back and forth. And I remember finding these letters and reading them, almost kind of like, ah, put those away, you know, it's just like... <laughs> Uh, letters. Uh, Teresa and I are celebrating our 40th anniversary today, as are John and Shelley Ockwell. Yeah. John and Shelley Shelley got married the same night, the same time, but different churches. We didn't know each other then, so we go out every year for dinner. We've been doing that for 30 years. We had a nice dinner this week to celebrate our anniversary. And I remember when we were engaged and... um, uh, well, even before we were engaged, being back at college, and Teresa was here and writing letters back and forth. You write a letter, and you wait for a while, and you get a letter, and you write a letter, and you get a letter, and uh, that was our means of communication, because back then, long-distance phone calls were expensive, we didn't have cell phones, and so we used letters. This morning, we are going to begin a, a time this summer, a series in our preaching portion of our service, from a letter. And it's from the letter of, we call, 1 Peter. I'd like you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter in the New Testament. In the, in the epistles, we have the Pauline epistles. And then after that, we have the book of Hebrews, whether Paul wrote it or not. There are different opinions on that. And then we have what's called the general epistles. And we have James, and keep going to 1 Peter. And the reason I say this this morning and begin this way, I want to remind you This was a letter. You know, we're so used to reading these as books in the Bible, okay, that sometimes we forget these actually were letters. Peter was somewhere else, and he is writing to Christians who are somewhere else, and it appears to be a collection of churches, because you notice it's not written to the church at Bithynia, the church at Cappadocia, 
Um, if you look at the beginning of it in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. This is the area of modern-day Turkey in the Bible known as Asia Minor. And it's particularly areas of this that, that Paul didn't go to. You know, when Paul was there, we read in Acts, he wanted to go this way, and the Spirit said no. He wanted to go this way, and the Spirit said no. And he heard the man from Macedonia in the vision calling him over to Greece, over that way. So this, this is a, these are letters, though, from a real person to real people in real circumstances, addressing real needs and real concerns, just like the letter I received and the letters that I have written in my life. A letter is, it's a letter. And this is a letter. And I want you to remember that. As you read, I, I would really encourage you. You know, we're going we're gonna, to, this summer, uh, Pastor Kevin and Pastor Gary will be doing some of the preaching as well. But even though there'll be different ones of us at different times, we are going to continue the series from First Peter. This is going to be our topic uh, through Labor Day weekend. And so I would really encourage you, if you have not had the chance yet, that you just sit down, take a few minutes, and just take a deep breath, and kind of let everything else go, and read this as if it were a letter. And read it in one setting. It won't take you long, trust me. It will not take you long. But to think of it in that way, as a letter. And you know, letters, if you think of a letter today, like the letters that I receive, the letter, had, the letter has an, an author. Somebody writes the letter. The letter has an audience and a context. The audience, you know, in, in, in the case when I wrote letters to Teresa, I was in Grand Rapids. She was in Seattle. She was in Seattle. I was in Grand Rapids. We wrote back and forth. Um, I have received letters from uh, pastors in Africa after our visit, visit there and in Southeast Asia. We received letters. These are, there's a context. And so there's an audience, and the audience is in a certain context that the letter speaks to in that context. And that is part of the epistles as well. There's an author, there's an audience in their context, there is a message. There is a message in the letter. There is a message in the letter, and there is a response, oftentimes. Oftentimes, you know, um, when you write a letter, and you send that letter, and you get no response, you kind of wonder, unless it was, you know, unless it was just a one-time letter, you know. But if it's a personal letter to a friend, or a fiancé, or somebody overseas, or whatever, and you wait for that response, and you don't get a response, you begin to wonder, right? And so there's, there's a response intended from the letter. So we are going to look at this letter, this epistle of the Apostle Peter to these churches. And I'd like you to consider again, first of all, the author. The beginning of the epistle. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting we probably know, you know, we probably know more about the personal life of Peter than any other apostle. We know, for example, he was married. There's this question about Paul, whether he was or wasn't. There's different views on that. But we know Peter was because he went to his mother-in-law's house. We actually know who some of his business partners were because they were in business with him in fishing. And we saw that when we talked about the post-resurrection appearances of Christ. We have a lot of dialogue from, from Peter in, in the book, in, in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have the book of Acts. We've seen a lot of very personal things about Peter. I mean, really, 
Um, you know, the, the denials of Jesus Christ, that was a very personal thing. That was a very personal letdown, if you will. You wouldn't want the whole world to know if you let down the Lord, would you? But yet we know all about that. We know a lot about the apostle Peter. And we see the transformation in this apostle. Um, we see the transformation in him. So this is the person who writes the letter, Peter. We know a little bit about his current situation. It appears from the context and from just from church history. And you'll notice, like in, in the Bible I'm looking at right now, the reference Bible, it says date of writing, 60, 65 A.D. If that's true, and that's generally accepted, this is toward the, the close of the apostolic era, except for the Apostle John. Because Peter and Paul were both martyred, killed, slaughtered, for their work as apostles not too long after this. The apostle John outlives them until maybe in the 90s AD. This is getting close to the time when the Romans are going to smash what we know of Judaism in Palestine and pretty well destroy it in the Jewish wars of 66 to 67. So this is the, the historical time. We also have a, at the very end of the book, if you look at chapter 5, we have a very interesting statement that we'll talk about more when we get there. But in chapter 5, in verse 13, Peter says to the, in his closing comments, you know, as you wrap up the letter, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. And this, this is puzzled a lot of Bible scholars, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. The, she seems to be the church there, Christians there, in Babylon. And that's, that's a, the question. Was Peter really in Babylon when he wrote this? Was he in, in that area of the world? Or is this, other people think this was sort of a metaphor for Rome because that was the new Babylon. Well, we'll talk about that later when we get there. But Peter is a long way away and he writes to these people whom he knew in modern day Turkey in Asia Minor. Now, I want you to think about the audience. You know, we, we're not told a lot of detail. Look at the list here of these churches. You notice we read these. These are, these, are, these are God's elect strangers in the world scattered throughout. And this, this is quite a large area here of Pontus, Galatia. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians. That was a rather large area. Cappadocia, Asia, because this is Asia Minor. Remember, the Bible culture is part of the... Is part of the Asian culture. You know, we have the, the Far East, the Mid East, and the Near East. That's all part of the Eastern culture. These people have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, who are these people? Who are these believers, these Christians? These are Christians. They are people who, have, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are these people? One of the things that we need to keep in mind as we, as we I only use the word study, this is our sermon portion of our, of our morning, and I don't make no apology for this. This is our Bible, Bible study. We are worshiping by coming to God's word and reading and looking and learning from God's word. That's what Paul says, study to show yourself approved. As we learn together, whether it's me or Kevin or Gary, as we bring this to you this summer, uh, one of the things we want to keep in the background, you want to keep this in the background, 
is it will, it will pop up and it will, be, it will be important. And that is Peter's ministry. Now, just to understand that a little bit, we do need to go back to the book of Galatians chapter 2. I just want you to, I want you to see this and to keep this in mind. Keep this in the background as you read Galatians because this, this is clearly part of, of, uh, of, the, of, the, of the situation here. In Galatians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul in, in Galatia, we studied Galatia a couple years ago, and we talked about this conflict that the Christians, people were coming and saying, well, yes, you're a Christian, but you're not really 100% really a, a follower of God unless you keep the Jewish law. And Paul had to confront this, and he had to confront Peter even to his face. He even says, I, Peter, I had, to, I had to withstand Peter to his face and say, Peter, you're wrong. You don't pull away from these Gentiles when these guys from Jerusalem come. You can't do that. You know that's not what God is doing today. And, and the Apostle Paul says this. In verse 7, speaking of his interaction with the leaders in Jerusalem, you know, we've studied the, we finished up last week the post-appearance uh, resurrection of, of Christ, and we talked about the, uh, you know, the, the work in Jerusalem and the offer of the kingdom to Israel and, and what was going on at Pentecost and all this excitement and everything was happening. But he says here, on the contrary, verse 7, they saw that I, that is Paul, had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas their right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed. We should go to the Gentiles, and they would go to the Jews. So we want to keep this in the background, in the context of Peter. The Bible specifically says, Paul says in the book of Galatians, that when Peter was called, his mission was, in the beginning, was to the Jews. When, when God separated me, Paul, when he separated me to my work, I was sent to the Gentiles. And up until the time of Galatia, when the, church, when the, the Galatians epistle, this was a huge issue. And so I want you just to keep this in the background, that, that, that Peter was called especially, not exclusively, because we're also going to see that, of course, you know the Apostle Paul, while he was called to the Gentiles, Every place he went, where was the first place he went? Huh? To the synagogue. Because when he went to the synagogue, he found a ready audience who believed in the one true God. They believed in the Old Testament. They believed in the coming Messiah. Everything was there to go to the Old Testament and show them who Jesus Christ was. And, so he, and there were Gentiles in the synagogue as well. There were those who were God-fearers. They were there as well. So, so while Paul was called to the Gentile world... His ministry was, he said, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. He says, I, my heart's broken over my own people. I wish they, I, I pray for them. Likewise, Peter, while he was sent primarily to the Jewish world, if you will, beginning in Jerusalem, he also ministers to Gentiles. We'll see this in, the apostle, in this epistle, that there are times where obviously this references to Gentiles. And it's a, it's a transition time. It's a changing time. It's a changing time. God had been, had been working with Israel. The Messiah came. The Messiah died. He rose from the dead. He was offered as the, as the king of Israel. They were given a chance to receive him. The, the leaders of Israel refused to receive him. 
God called the Apostle Paul. It was not plan B. It was part of God's plan all along. But it had been previously unrevealed that God was doing something new. He was taking the message of the gospel, the grace of God to the entire world where Jew and Gentile come on equal basis apart from any connection to the Jewish law. And they come together and they form the new people of God, the church, the body of Christ. This is a transition time. And God didn't just drop the curtain on his people and say, deal with it, tough, deal with it. He allowed time for this transition, this changeover. And so likewise, you'll see this, especially if you go to the very end of, if you go to the very end of Peter, once again, chapter five, you'll notice in verse 12, Peter says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you. Who was Silas? Huh? Paul and Silas. They were traveling partners after Barnabas left. They were the ones who took the ministry on the second and third journey. They were traveling partners. They were, they were compatriots. He, he was a very close confidant and co-laborer with the apostle Paul. But now he's, he's with Peter and he says, we, we send greetings. And in fact, he says later on at, at the end of verse 13, and so my son Mark sends greetings as well. Mark, John Mark, who began with Paul and left after the first missionary journey. But in 2 Timothy, written not too long after Peter, Paul's last epistle, he specifically says to Timothy, he says, get John Mark and bring him. He is very helpful in my ministry. So you have this crossover, you have this transition. And so we're in this change over time and you'll see this, this transition, you'll see this crossover between the ministries, but it's worth keeping in mind that Peter had been commissioned especially to take this gospel to the Jewish world, to his fellow Jews. And so I want you to notice then in the message, as we, be, as we look at the message of Peter, and incidentally, this, what's, it, the key word here is, in the beginning there, it says, to God's elect, in verse 1, strangers in the world, dispersed diaspora, scattered throughout. The, Israeli, the, the Israel tribes that were conquered by the Babylonians and the, the Assyrians, the, the Assyrians, they were dispersed. They became what we call the diaspora. Even to this day, we use this term, diaspora Jews. Jews that had been scattered. And in the first century, there was a typical, you can read this in some of the Jewish writings and history, there was a typical letter that would be written from the rabbis in Jerusalem to the Jewish communities throughout the world, and they were called diaspora letters. They were called diaspora letters, letters to the diaspora, to the dispersed. And this letter of Peter kind of fits this genre of this letter that was sent to the diaspora, to the dispersed uh, and many see this. And in fact, Eusebius, the early church historian who from the third, 314 or so, when he wrote his church history, he's one of the earliest church fathers who wrote a lot of history, specifically says, Peter wrote to the Hebrews in the dispersion because he had preached Christ to those of the circumcision at Jerusalem. So they are dispersed in the message. But I want you to notice this message as we begin here, this really powerful message. You've been chosen, verse 2 according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, you, you know, there's quite a discussion in, in Christianity over the whole doctrine of election, the sovereignty of God. That is a whole study to itself. But there, I will say this. There's one thing that's very clear in, in Hebrew writing and in, and in the Greek New Testament, that when it talks about God's foreknowledge, in the Hebrew, 
the word knowledge, this, this word particular for knowledge that then is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament and used here, does indicate relationship. That's why when it says in the, in the, you know, in the King James, Adam knew his wife Eve, and we might look at that and say, well, this is kind of a delicate way of talking about sex, you know. No, that in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, it implied relationship. So when it said God foreknew and God foreknew you, you didn't surprise God when you became a believer. Um, you know, we will pray that little Alvin becomes a believer, and I trust he will. That's not going to surprise God, because God's foreknowledge implies relationship. And he says, listen, those of you scattered throughout this area of Asia Minor, you have been chosen according to God's foreknowledge. And then notice, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. And, we, and, 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 and you know, Paul uses this term too. We should never shy away from the idea of obedience as going together with God's grace. We are called to be obedient to God. Grieve not the Holy Spirit by whom you've been sealed until the day of redemption. God calls us to be obedient. We are not perfect. There's not a per person here who can say, I've perfectly been obedient to God in everything I've ever done. I'm not going to say that. But hopefully we can say we are living a lifestyle where we are obedient to God and we are serving him. And he says, he says you've been called to this. And I want you to notice this next phrase. For obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by his blood. That is not, you know, that is a metaphor, but for this Jewish audience, there is some deep reality to this. Because when you read in Exodus, there are three times in the Old Testament where the people were actually sprinkled with blood. It, it wasn't just a metaphor. When, they, when, when Moses, when he received the Mosaic Law, and you can read about this in, in the book of Exodus, when he received the Mosaic Law, in Exodus chapter 24, in verse 4 to 8, they applied the blood, and then he, and then he turned and he took the hyssop and he sprinkled, how would you like that? He sprinkled the blood on the people, and they got blood splattered on them, those standing in front. And then later on, um, uh, when, he, when he dedicates Aaron, his family, and the high priest, same thing. They offered the blood, they offered it, and they sprinkled it on them. And they got the blood splattered on them as it was sprinkled on them. And then there's the account of the cleansing of the leper. And when a leper was cleansed, miraculously cleansed, and he went to the priest and it was, uh, and it was authentic, the priest sprinkled the blood. Now, isn't that interesting? And, and what, what is Peter saying here? What is this? Why? Why would you sprinkle the blood? Why splatter blood on people? You know, to our world, to us today, many people say that's, that's disgusting. But you read the book of Hebrews, and in the context in, in Hebrews, and you can look at this yourself, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 18 to 21, when it talks about the work of Jesus Christ and the, and the, the blood atonement and that we were sprinkled with his blood, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. And that sprinkling of blood was a physical reminder that a life had been given to cover sin. It was a literal reminder, and they were sprinkled. And Peter says, listen, brothers and sisters, you have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. Now we know that this was not a literal, this is a metaphor because it was, unless they were all standing at the foot of the cross, but his blood was shed on the cross of Calvary. His blood represented his life that was given to pay for all of my sins. 
all of my sins that I, have, that I have ever committed in my life and the ones I will still commit, Christ paid for those. We have been, these people are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is not a Jew or Gentile thing. That is the part when Paul says we are ministers of a new covenant. There is the new covenant with the household of Israel. That's to come. But Paul says we are ministers of a new covenant. It has to do with the blood atonement. And this is important, friends, that you have been sprinkled. These people were sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 3, praise be. This sounds like Ephesians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. This harkens back to the gospel of John. You must be born again. Into a, I love this, into a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now listen, these are people who are, we're going to see are, are in some suffering and in some difficulty. These are people who are, these are average people. These are people whose lives were pretty tenuous at times. Some of these people were pretty marginalized in this society that they lived in. And look what he says to them. This hope that you have, it's an inheritance in verse 4. An inheritance in the Bible was not just something you received when you died. You had a claim on it now. Remember the prodigal son? He came to his father and said, what? Give me the what? Huh? Give me the inheritance. His father hadn't died yet. But that's a biblical principle. And according to the Old Testament world, the New Testament world, you have a claim on it now. And this inheritance will never perish. Listen, friends, you talk about security. You talk about something that's sure. It will never perish. It will never spoil. It will never fade. It is reserved. It is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. This speaks to this living hope that we, that we have, that we have today as well. These people were saved by the blood of Christ that is reserved for us in heaven. This is, speaks to, to eternal security. This speaks to the fact that God knows how to take care of what belongs to him. You are shielded by God's power, no matter what you are going through, no matter how vulnerable you feel at times, no matter how weak you feel at times, no matter how much you might, you might question you know, does God really want me? Does he really love me? Does he really understand who I am? Of course he does. And if you have been saved by the blood of Christ sprinkled on you, remember what David said? Remember what David said in Psalm 51 after sin with Bathsheba? David said what? Purge me with hyssop. Wash me and I will be what? Huh? Whiter than snow. You know what purging with, with hyssop is? It is taking the hyssop plant putting it in the blood and sprinkling it. And David says, God, please do this. Wash me in my terrible sin. Only you can do this, and I will be whiter than snow. Jesus Christ died and paid for our sins. We make no apology for boldly proclaiming that from this pulpit. And you are shielded by God's power. In this you greatly rejoice. And I want you, we're going to have to wrap up here for today, but I want you to notice this. You're going to have to read some of this on your own. I know you can do that. But look at these pieces. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. This has come so your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is a huge part of the context. Whatever these people are going through, the, the persecutions of the Christians, it was not an always, always ongoing thing. It came in waves. At the end of the book, 
he, he says that Paul, uh, Peter says, after you have suffered a little while. So they are going through some type of suffering, some type of testing. You may be going through some type of testing or trial or suffering today. Uh, all suffering, and although I just read this last week, and it was in the Wall Street Journal, that Christianity is the most, uh, uh, most oppressed religion in the world today. In two-thirds of the world's country, Christianity is oppressed. Two-thirds of the world countries in the world, Christianity is oppressed. There are still hardcore communist countries where all religion is oppressed, and we know what's going on in militant-type Islam today. Um, Christianity is the most oppressed religion in the world today. There are brothers and sisters around this world, as we sit here, who are, who are going through physical oppression, all sorts of terrible things. You too, the Bible equates temptation and testing with this as well. And I just want you to notice this, because when it comes to testing and temptations, when it comes to trials, when it comes to challenges in our life, when it comes to difficulties, you know, the question, the question why God? Why, why do you do this? Why do you allow this? You could stop this. You could change this, God. Why do you allow this? Why? And notice what he says here. Peter says to these people, listen, your faith, in verse 7, it will, be, it will be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. You may not ever know. God is not obligated to explain to you why. But all things work together for good to those who love God. And if you have to wait until that day when Jesus Christ is revealed to understand from God, that's why you allowed this. That's why you brought this. That is why this happened. That's what Peter is saying. Don't lose heart. God will make it straight. God will explain. You will, you will understand. But you may have to wait until that day. That's in God's hands. That's in God's hands. These people are undergoing temptations, testings, and trials. I want you to remember that as we look at this book together. Let's just read verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Do you love, do you love the Lord today? Do you love the Lord? Come on, thank you, thank you. Yeah, amen. <laughs> I know at least Linda loves the Lord. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how do we express? And, that, that, and somehow that maybe can sound trite. I love God. But we are to love God. Peter says, listen, people, I know you love him. You love him. You love him. You love, you love people you are in relationship with. You know, you love your, your family. You love your children. Even when your children or your parents or a loved one does something that's very wrong, it doesn't always change your love. You may not like them right now, but you love them. Do you love God? Remember what Jesus said to Peter? This is the same Peter who writes this that Jesus had to say three times. What? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter is feeding the sheep here. And he says to these sheep, these people that are just like you and just like me, they are not perfect, they are not, they are just people who have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ and he says, I know you, you love him, even though you have not seen him. But you believe in him and you are filled. Look at this, come on. Lift your heads up. You are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. People are suffering. They're going through trials. 
but you are filled with joy. Why? Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Listen, friends, as we conclude this message, and next Sunday, Pastor Kevin's going to take the next part of, of this first chapter. I, you know, I said that, you know, oftentimes when you write a letter, you expect a response. Peter's writing a letter to these people. What is the response that he's looking for? He is looking for these people to get through these trials and temptations. He is looking to these people to understand what God has done for them, who God calls them, what God calls them. And I want you to go home with this, friends. You know, we, I'll be the first to, you know, it's easy, isn't it, to, to take our Christian faith and our salvation sometimes for granted? Come on now, isn't it easy? You know, how many days go by where sometimes we don't give much thought to God, that we don't give much thought to his word, um, we don't acknowledge him. It's easy. It's easy in our humanity, in our, in, in our weaknesses, to, to just sometimes kind of take it for granted what God has done for us. But I want you to just appreciate how wonderful this message of the grace of God that Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his blood, paid for my sins, offered me forgiveness, and has reserved my future in heaven by his word and his shield, not by what I accomplish or what I fail to do. So I want you to take this home with you. I just want you to see how important, listen, Verse, eight, verse 10, concerning your salvation, Jim, concerning Jim's salvation, concerning your salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently. These are the prophets. This is Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, Hosea, Amos, Obadiah. They searched intently with the greatest care trying to find out the times and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them, the Spirit of Christ in them, was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Listen, it was revealed to them. It was revealed to them. God somehow revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. This powerful message of God's reaching out to his own people, to the Jews, and sending Peter especially to these people with this message, of Paul going to the Gentile world, of this time of transition when this message is going forth and now the message, as Paul says, was revealed, was revealed to me and is now known by all the apostles and prophets of this marvelous grace of God. Peter says, do you appreciate what you have? Isaiah and Jeremiah longed to understand it. They begged God. They searched diligently. What is going to happen? How is this going to come to fulfillment? What is this suffering Messiah? Angels have been looking down longingly, God, what is going to happen? And God has chosen 
to include you. To include you. And of all the, to include me. Come on. Do we love God? Do we appreciate? Let's go home. Lift your heads up. Understand who, who you are, what God has done in sprinkling the blood of Christ and forgiving your sins and reserving your hope in heaven for all eternity. Even the angels have been begging God to please let us know. And God chose to reveal it. Praise the Lord. What a good God we serve. Let's close our service in our last song. God loves you. He loves you so much that Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, died on the cross, suffered more than we, we will never touch the rim of understanding what he suffered for me because he chose to love me and he shed his blood so I could be sprinkled with the blood of Christ and be reminded a life had to be given for a holy God to accept sinful people. You can receive where you are right now. And there are people who have done this quietly, right? As we leave this place, you can say yes to God. And I just simply ask you, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you receive God's forgiveness and receive eternal life and receive that hope reserved for you in heaven? God loves you. And his desire is that no one should be lost. And you can receive Christ where you stand right now. Say yes to God. Heavenly Father, I speak for this congregation. As, as I close the service in prayer, Lord, I'm, I'm speaking for this family of God. And I don't need to tell you we're people. And we're not perfect. But I do want to tell you today, on behalf of this congregation, we love you. We love you because you first chose to love us. And in our weakness and in our humanity, we stand as one today and we give you our thanks and we give you our love and we walk with you this week. And Lord, we want, if, if there's anybody in this congregation who does not know you as your Savior, we want them to walk with us and I pray they would open their heart and say yes and receive Christ's payment for their sins. In the name of our wonderful, wonderful Savior, Yeshua Christu, Jesus the Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, we leave this place. Amen.